Welcome to another episode of In It for the Long Run. We are the podcast that looks into the lessons we learn when we commit to long-term journeys. My name is Claudia Fermanchik. I'm here in Seattle and my co-host out in Chicago, Tranos McCombe. Hi, Tranos. Hello, hello, hello. Shouting out from the Windy City. Uh, not the, Well, we have windows here, but sure. The Windy City. Uh, so nice to be here again with you, Claudia. Super excited for today's episode. Yes, today we have Michelle Graves, who is actually one of the directors that puts on the St. George Marathon. So we're going to learn a little bit about what goes into putting on this big event, and we're excited. Absolutely. For our listeners, uh, just a quick little behind the scenes here. We're actually recording these episodes back to back. We recorded our, our interview with Chris Romanchuk yesterday. So we're still going to do a race update, even though probably not a lot has changed within the last uh, 12 hours. I think for the race update section today, I would like to highlight information that has we've been privy to. Uh, Claudia did some great research on the race, and we've got some times on how well people have been doing. So I think that's going to double down on my my time goals here. I feel like a good 4.30, 4 hours, 30 minutes sounds pretty doable because Bob Koch, who was 80 plus years, finished in four hours and 30 minutes uh, back in 2007. So I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know if I, I, I got to do as good as that. I, I can't be upshot by this guy. So yes, Trenis, your goal is to get the get the goal for the 80 plus group in, in the men's division. And I my goal is to get the 80, to at least get the 80 plus group in the female division, which is six hours and six minutes for Vera L. Van Wilson. So as long as I can get that, I think I'll be happy. But no, in all reality, I think I'm actually going, I think like a 430 is doable. Maybe a five. I don't know. I'm like pretty slow. I have high endurance, but I am a little nervous because I know it gets hotter the longer you run. So start like ending a little bit sooner would be nice. Agreed. And also, I mean, a lot of research I've learned this week, uh, these running endorphins that apparently are a thing. So I feel like people's performance on the actual day tends to be better. Will I rely on that and, you know, hope for a better time? Probably not, but maybe my time will be improved on the day itself. Only time will tell. <laughs> only, only time will tell. And if, if that doesn't give you motivation enough, uh, the other thing I, I learned this week is St. George Marathon has 8-year-old runners and 10-year-old runners. So not only do you have people that are 80 plus, but uh, 10 below. I don't have any times on these young ladies, but um, truly impressive. If these people can do it, anybody can. We're, we're definitely in on a good run here, Claudia. Perfect. That's great. That's enough motivation for me to avoid embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> and a quick shout out to Tate Tremstedt, a listener off the podcast and friend of the podcast. He actually sent our first two episodes to our very special guest today. And she gave us some pretty glaring reviews for the first episode, so excited to have her on this one. All right, our guest for today is Michelle Graves. She's the Deputy Director of Arts and Events at the City of St. George, and she's been in this position for about four years. Michelle, would you like to say hi to our podcast guests? Hi, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. No, thank you so much for being on the show. What's your experience been like getting into the St. George Marathon and the events themselves? How did you kind of start the business position and kind of what do you do for day to day? 
Well, I'm the director, the deputy director over arts and events, and that falls within parks and community services here at the city of St. George. And St. George is a little bit unique. I mean, we have your regular rec department, which we are, but St. George City, um, its largest economic impactor is tourism. So there's always been kind of this nice intermingle between community events and also events that include tourism because heads and beds are an important part of what we do here at the city, in the city of St. George. We live in a really beautiful area, 30 minutes from Zion National Park two hours from Bryce. I mean, we're just surrounded by, if you've heard of the Mighty Five National Parks in Utah, they're just surrounding us. And so we live in this beautiful area. So it's kind of fun. Our job is a little bit unique in that aspect is that we get to kind of think a little bit larger than how to serve the community and put on some bigger events. We've just finished three national championships with Ironman here. They have a contract here in St. George. And one of the events was to put on the world Ironman during the time of COVID because Hawaii was closed down. So the the world championships for Ironman have always been held in Kona, Hawaii, and we were able to host them also this last year. So some big events kind of come this way. So thank you for choosing the St. George Marathon. You know, I don't know if you just threw a dart at the <laughs> at a United States map or something, but we're really thrilled to have you guys join us and we're happy that you picked us. No, for sure. I kind of, we got into the details of that in our first episode, but yes, St. George came up through a Google search. This is true. However, I did do my research on it and I, I am pretty excited to, to be part of the race. And Claudia, I think you've also done your, your little two cents to check into it. Yes. Well, first of all, Trinos just asked me and I said yes. And I was kind of hoping he'd forget and then he didn't. And now, now I'm training for my first marathon. But I do have to say, I appreciate whoever mapped out the route because I really like that it's going downhill and not up. So <laughs> thank you to whoever did that. That's going to help me out. Yes. And that does help um, when you're choosing. If you do make your goal a Boston qualifier, we are pretty fast. PR type of course. And a lot of people choose us for that. A lot of people choose us for the scenery. A lot of people choose us for the atmosphere that we bring, all of the things that we're very proud of. So yeah, we hope to give you guys a great experience. Do you have an expected number of participants this year? Yeah, we cap at 8,000. We have kind of a busing situation. The only way to get to the start line is by buses. And we're still a small enough community that we need enough time. And, you know, some people still squawk. We start busing at 3.15 in the morning. So no one wants that bus time. But we have to get so many routes up there. So we do cap our marathon. And we should be full at the end of the month. So if you're hearing this and you want to sign up, now is the time because we do fill up. Absolutely. We can put the link at the end of the episode. What is the essence of St. George? What's pulling people into the city for all these events? Because if you, you, we, of course, have the marathon and you mentioned there's Ironman. Like what what's drawing people into the city in particular to, to want to do these sports events in the city? Yeah, I think that's a good question. We there's a couple of things. I mean, scenery is definitely one of them. It's definitely a race to build a vacation around. So you want to take time and kind of see the sights. You know, we're really just kind of centrally located. Like I said, to those national parks, we're less than two hours from Vegas, 
four hours from Salt Lake. So there's a lot to do in this area. But I, we've been known and we've won awards for being a really organized marathon. And I think that organization comes partly due to the community support that we have. We were thinking about privatizing the marathon a few years back and the, and the community went crazy. Like, please don't do that. Don't take away our city marathon. You know, who knows what could happen? And because we were just feeling like maybe it's too big a burden on our city employees. And the community really spoke up. And I learned a lot during that time. I mean, generationally, groups have been coming out to provide aid stations. Like there, we're on the third, fourth generations of families communities, church groups, things like that. We've always been aid station number, you know, 12 or whatever. Like, <laughs> So we really have some great community support and then the scenery and just the experience that you have. The ease, people always ask me, where should I stay? And you can stay anywhere in St. George because you're 20 minutes from anything, you know, <laughs> within 20 minutes. So it's really convenient, safe, beautiful city to come to. And correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are coming up on the 47th anniversary of the marathon? That's correct. So we are the largest city municipal marathon in existence. So we're proud of that as well. So it's been, it's been a big deal to our town then, and it still is now to host this event. That's amazing. Any idea of how it started and you know how it's continued for such a long period of time? Yeah. So again, the city... Back in the day, a couple things happened. They decided to offer a few, to open up a few golf courses to try and draw tourism because we are a hub of Vegas. You know, how can we get people to stop over or when they're coming through this way to stop and visit St. George? So there were golf courses. There's a World Senior Games tournament that takes Mm -hmm. place every year. Huntsman World Senior Games, that's pretty well known. Same idea. This was in the 70s. We were 1977. Sherm Miller was the parks and recreation director, and he just thought, hey, we could really like host this great community event and bring a little tourism to St. George. So he came up with it, and now we're the 13th largest marathon in the United States, and we just kind of like grew from there. And a couple things that we do that, well, our hashtag is like no other, so you'll have to see (laughs) if it's you know, once you guys become well-weathered in marathoning, if if we truly are, but we tout ourselves as like no other, but we all really offer some interesting things. We have a road of fame. We have a legacy club that keeps members coming back. You know, there's 20, 30, 40 year members. We just lost a lady um, two years ago that had never missed one of our marathons. So she held the record of all of them. And She's great. And then in 1989, we adopted a sister marathon with Ibigawa Japan. And that's been a great cultural exchange. So we send as prize money, we send the winners of our marathon to Ibigawa Japan in November for their marathon. And they do the same with us. And then we also have a educational component. So eighth graders can write an essay and win the opportunity to go to Ibigawa with a delegation and win a cultural experience. They stay with host families, they go to school in Ibigawa, and then we do the same for them. And so we really have some neat and interesting components that make our marathon pretty unique. Does that mean you get to go to Ibigawa as well? Have you ever got the chance to visit Japan? 
No, and I was going to go this year, but I'm passing it on to someone else. My husband's having some health problems, but yeah, I do have desire to go. We always send our mayor and a city council member and then two or three delegates from the city. Now, if I go or whoever goes in my place, they also become kind of like the travel host. So it's a little bit of a working job, <laughs> but I definitely do want to go because it's really such a neat component that we offer when they come to visit us. <laughs> Absolutely. And to our Japanese listeners, just give us a little shout out. And to get to know you as well better, Michelle, we have a section off the podcast that we call That's a Stretch. Otherwise known as Two Truths and a Lie. Have you ever played this game before? Oh, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't really prepare much for it. You can give us what you have right off the top of your head, but just a quick refresher for the rules. You give us、uh, two truths and one lie, and it's up to Claudia and I to decipher which is true and which is not true. Just a quick heads up、uh, give us both a chance to, get before, to guess before revealing your answer. But yes, I'll, I'll shoot it over to you. Sorry, no pressure. But what are your two truths and a lie? Okay. My two truths and a lie. I've run over 50 races. I started a women's lacrosse club for Brigham Young University, where I went to college. And I have an MFA in arts. Claudia, you want to kick off the guesses here? I think you seem pretty artistic. I think you've run, I don't think you, I think you probably started a sports team, but maybe not a lacrosse team. So I'm going to say that is the lie. <laughs> What do you think, Trinus? My guess, honestly, just based off of the hesitation, would be the MFA、uh, <laughs> as the lie. So that's where I'm throwing it out. Okay. You win. <laughs> Wait. So, we'll do their expo. You know, we'll have an expo booth and sell the St. George Marathon. And I always encourage them to run a component of someone else's race because I feel like it's really good kind of backdoor opportunity to see operations and how things are running and just learn trends and fun things. And so it's kind of fun. It's kind of a perk to our job. We're going to、um, Grandma's Marathon in Duluth, Minnesota this week, where we leave on Wednesday. and Part of my staff will run the 5K and the rest is going to run the half marathon. That's what we've all decided to do. So there's five of us going. So just kind of a fun perk for our little race department. Also, be racers. Now, my perspective on race day is much different than Aaron Mettler, who works in our department, who wins marathons. Like he sees things from a very different angle. I have time to enjoy the scenery. Have a smorgasbord at the at the aid stations of whatever I want and take my time. And, you know, he kind of runs it to win it. So it's kind of fun to see things from different aspects as well. My goal is just to make that 6 15 time at this point. <laughs> you will definitely do that. I、no、think、problem. I'll be okay. <laughs> and if you I, don't, you'll really be 
not liking being out there that long. <laughs> I was I was looking at some of the record history and I saw that there was someone over 80 who did it in less than that time. So I was like, yeah. okay, if they can. And to be honest, like we try to really accommodate those runners because they are part of our legacy club that have done it for, you know, 30, 35, 40 years. And we want to give them every advantage. And the fact that they're out there doing it. And I sometimes think like six hours is way harder than, I mean, I'm an average four hour marathoner. So, you know, like every, every minute after four hours on your feet is substantially harder. (laughs) So they should, they should win it like an extra medal. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> now we have a couple of uh, stories. I guess that's a good lead into it. We were kind of looking to past stories of people that have run the race. And a lot of them are very inspirational. And perhaps you can tell us some of them that perhaps come to mind on your behalf. One that I saw online is a woman that ran to break the record for the fast female marathon runner dressed as a book. Her name was Hannah Halt, and this was actually raising awareness for dyslexia, which is a very good cause. Do you remember this lady in particular? Oh, yeah. She reached out to us, and we tried to support her. She didn't need much support, but we definitely supported her, and um, we were thrilled to have that. I mean, I love those Guinness Book of World record breakers, and that was what she was aiming for, and she did achieve her goal, and I mean... her costume was, it would be hard to run in. I'm always amazed at people that do that or run in like a full fireman's uniform or carry a flag the whole time. I mean, I, any extra way, I, I like look at the, how many ounces my shoes weigh, you know, <laughs> I think that makes for really remarkable stories. And she did a great job in running for that cause. So it's neat to, it's neat to be a part of those things. We, I'll tell you a sad story. We had a younger gentleman who was running with his family members. And this was the first time that this has happened in our 47 years, but he went into cardiac arrest on the course. There was luckily a police officer very close by who administered CPR and revived him. He was carried away by ambulance and later passed away in the hospital. And it was remarkable to be a part of his whole family and all of his friend group, over 50 of them, came back last year to run in his honor. And boy, if that doesn't bring you to tears, I mean, and the fact that they, you know, came back and and wanted to run and finish that race for him, I thought was wonderful instead of feeling, you know, repelled by the fact that it had happened kind of on our watch, if you will. So there are so many remarkable stories. I always love the runners that run, you know, for a cause or in behalf of another person that they've cared for and they'll have a shirt made or something because, yeah, I mean, there's so many good stories and every, that's one thing I've learned is everyone has their reason, you know, I mean, it can be for, you know, selfish reasons to have a great day in nature, or it can be for really remarkable causes, but they're all important. And, and pushing the human body that way is a remarkable effort, whether you're a pro racer like Aaron Mettler in our department, or you're just this novice, likes to get out and have fun and sometimes raise money type of person like me. So yeah, it, it kind of ties into what you were saying earlier when you said you kind of go into it in different mentalities, you have a different mentality than your coworker and 
after reading these stories, some people have their own personal reasons for running the marathon. I kind of discussed on previous episodes why I'm running it personally as a goal that I'd like to achieve and something I've never done before. But yeah, reading some of these more personal ones, it's like really cool to see the different places people are coming from and really diving deep and having a such an inspiration to run. So it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see. I think at the end of the day, it leaves you with that. It leaves you with a lot of life lessons that you can take and apply in your life. And it, it really does help you grow in so many ways. There's so many factors, but I think I'm more like Claudia, like I just want to be in shape enough to say yes to my friends when they invite me to do something fun, you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> my reason. <laughs> I think when you hear stories like that too, you think about running, often when I think about it, it seems like such a solo sport, but then it really has such a huge community backing to it. Like when I run on my jobs, I'm always like waving to people and people smile and it, I think you just kind of know the challenge and the pain that goes through like a, pr a process of running and it just brings people together in a really beautiful way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, my background was really um, sports and team sports. And then I became a young mom and just felt like I was kind of missing that component of, you know, all my friends were athletes. And so then I got in with a mom's group that met at the crack of dawn and ran before their kids got up. And that fulfilled such a nice niche for me, like during a time where I still really wanted to be active and also engaged with a community of athletes. And so that was just a wonderful thing. And that kind of support to me has always been an impetus. Like I can run a marathon and, and on race day, I kind of want everyone to have like do their best that day. You know, we don't have to run together, but all those all that training to do it like in a group run for me has been just as important as the race itself. It's really brought me a lot of satisfaction having friends to, to spend miles with. Yeah. Another story I'd like to highlight, let us know if this one rings any bells for you too. There's a blind woman that not only runs the race, but biked from Salt Lake city all the way down to St. George and then ran the race. Can't confirm whether or not it's the same day, but like still super, super impressive. It's, yeah, these people are super, super amazing. Yeah, we have a, yeah, all kinds of great, remarkable stories like that. And, and we're really, I, those are kind of my favorite stories because often I get to know about them before the race occurs because they might need a little bit of accommodations. And I want to stress that we always want to try and accommodate, you know, as many athletes, you know, with however we can. We have a gentleman in Utah that's done some remarkable things. They call him the Iron Cowboy, and he has a record for doing like a ridiculous amount of consecutive Ironman length races. Like, I think he did 30 in 30 days here in Utah, and then he Ooh. did like 10 every week or uh, some number like in a different state uh, all over the place like just so really like those stories whether you're blind or you're disabled or you're just a super athlete and do crazy things are kind of the best stories <laughs> yeah you always want to know what drives those people to really push the human limits that way and that's so great that you guys do your best to accommodate all these different individuals. I imagine there's a lot of logistics that go into race day. What do you think are some of the most challenging 
logistics that you have to put together. I mean, just what you said, there's just like a thousand components. And so one thing that we've really learned as we've grown, especially the last couple of years, is that the race itself has like every component is a race within itself. So one of the things that we've changed over the last few years was to add a half marathon. And now we have a 5K. So all the things that we offer, we offer a full marathon, a half marathon, a 5K, which you can earn a double medal. And if you guys are interested, this is new this year. It's going to happen Friday night during the expo. It can kind of just be a walk or a tune-up run. And then, you know, you add the mileage the next day and get your double medal. But we have a mayor's walk for the community to be involved in. We have a kids race and we have a special needs race. So there's really like a lot to go into those plannings. And when you think of just the races that I've listed and the expo, those are all events within themselves. And then there's the smaller events. Like we have a whole team of people that spend a week putting together the start lines and the finish lines. And Utah Barricades is involved in barricades. And we need, you know, 400 porta potties and like all these, you know, all these components and, you know, so many jugs of water and Gatorade and all kinds of crazy things, but it's really doable with a staff that's all willing to take a component. And I always talk about championing things like you just champion your one little area because, you know, they'll say, oh, that's all you need me to do. Yes, but champion it, make it like the best, you know, the best finish line food ever (laughs) with this budget. (laughs) And it really makes it makes a lot of hard work easy when you break it up that way. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm kind of going to put Claudia on the spot here, but during our planning, she was just like trying us, we have to find out how they do the porter parties. How do the porter <laughs> parties work? How does this planning come together? It's so much, but yes, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of hands that go into it. Well, and you guys are kind of, you know, getting an education along the way of not just like, printing a training plan and running it, but really figuring out, you know, how these big events take place. So you're going to learn a lot and your eyes are going to be open to kind of like how we do things. And then you'll always compare. It's kind of like being a waitress when you're young, you know, then you always both judge other waitresses that you, when you go out to dinner, but you also have a great appreciation for them and the work that they do. So you're going to have kind of that aspect of the marathon experience, I think that some people just discount, you know, they just show up and do their thing and, and don't think much about it. But you'll probably be a lot more aware of all the elements, which is awesome. That's I love that part of it. I never knew that there was so much involved. And and now that I do, it's my this is how my staff reacts to me. They're like, Michelle, you drive us crazy, you know, up until about the month before the marathon. And then you start to get happier and happier and more excited. And then the expo is like Christmas Eve and the marathon is like Christmas morning for you. And that is like really the perfect example of a race director's planning because you start to stay up nights going, oh, did we do this? Oh my gosh, we have to do this. Oh, did this person do this? And you're kind of like become this like, you know, just like you do your part, you know, kind of person. And then you get to the point where you're like, well, if we didn't do it now, it's too late. (laughs) And then people start showing up, you know, and and the whole plan comes together. It's like when your Christmas tree is decorated and all the presents are under the tree and you start to see the fruits of your labor and then the joy that comes from like, 
oh my gosh, they all came to see what we did. And it's just amazing. And I really do. I, I think I get because they say you get, you know, great endorphins sometimes when you run long distances. And I've definitely felt that and the kind of afterglow that you have of accomplishing something great. But I feel that oddly at a heightened sense as a race director. And so it's just kind of the best feeling to see everything come together, even if it's hard, even though, because there also is what I call the line of invisibility, like all these things that go wrong <laughs> behind the scenes that we're really hoping you as the public don't notice. And for the most part, you don't, or we can just kind of take care of it or send someone out there, you know, with more ice to aid station number, you know, six or whatever is needed, all the little things that kind of we have to do behind the scenes to make sure you have a good experience. But with all that under consideration, it still is like the best. It's like, you know, it's like having a party and everyone comes and it's so uh, satisfying and enjoyable. I mean, so much preparation going into it and leading up to the day. And then you have the race. Is there like any post uh, team party or celebration once everything goes successfully? Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. We give everyone a couple days to just decompress. And sadly, in a city run municipal marathon, it's both good and bad and good when like our parks department, I really worried about the burden that it was on them because they really like have to stop whatever jobs they do. And they do a lot, trash cleanup, you know, trimming trees, all the things that go into perpetually caring for all of our open spaces. And they focus on, they are our team that sets up our start lines, our finish lines, beautifies the areas that we're going to be in to really set the stage for the marathon. And I always worry about the burden that it's going to be to them. But they actually say they love it because they get to take a break from their daily things. And we like provide a little budget for them to have because they're like 26 miles away is, you know, the edge of our boundaries of the city. And so they're way up there. We allow them to have barbecues during start line, you know, put together for the day. So they get like some little incentives and they just love doing something different, you know and they own it and champion their area as well. So that's rewarding. But we give everyone a little break and then we usually come together. We have a really neat open space called Signaler Farm. It's a big open barn and we usually have a nice barbecue and thank you and give out kind of um, raffle type prizes because everyone works hard, you know, for coming and, and try to say thank you. That way we have the, the mayor and the city council join us and and try to say thank you. And we also do the same for our volunteers. The Monday after the marathon, we host a fun event that they can come. And we've done it at like a arcade park. We've done it at our city pool. And we just kind of feed everyone and try to say thank you. But, you know, those volunteers, especially a lot of laborious hours they put in just for the love of being a part of our community. So we can't ever pay back that debt, but we try to. We try to have parties, you know, and that's fun too. It's a fun way to wrap up. The fun part, the non-fun part is cleaning up all the leftovers. <laughs> 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 Putting everything away. That's not fun, but the rest is fun. Definitely. Any recommendations for the runners celebrating afterwards? 
Yeah. So we try to make that marathon finish line a party in itself too. We've added a band and we just invite you to just soak it in. There's no, I mean, it's usually the best weather, knock on wood. So we really, you know, ask you to stay and enjoy. We do an award ceremony. So that's kind of fun to see the elite athletes that have come and we have a nice pool of them this year and just kind of just enjoy the day. And then, you know, keep coming because if you have a friend that's in the Legacy Club, the Legacy Club dinner happens Saturday night and really anyone is invited if you want to pay, but it's good to come with a friend if you have one. And we really try to celebrate those athletes. We induct them in for their 10th year and then recognize them for their years of accomplishment at a dinner we do that evening. So... We try to we try to make it a total party weekend. Friday night is really the kind of the eve of the marathon. You know, we don't party late, but that 5K is where the kids race and the special needs race happens at 5:30 during the expo, and that'll be out on the lawn, and we'll have a band and a party, some bounce houses, and free food and fun stuff going on out there. So it kind of really is a nice festive weekend. Yeah, I feel like Claudia and I will most likely lean into the the Friday night events because I feel like post race we'll barely be able to walk, let alone participate. Yeah. In, I would in say by five o'clock, people are ready to go home and sit in a nice <laughs> bath or whatever you have to do. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, try to try to come and enjoy the whole day. I mean, the expo is really fun too. We have great speakers that come and give inspirational talks. You know, we have our Japanese delegation. We have lots of you know, it's kind of like a little shopping mall for athletes and apparel and stuff like that. But the public's invited. It's all free. It's There's some nice things that happen all day Friday. I'm curious if you have any recommendations for Claudia and I's preparation. Also looking online, one mention for the race, someone said, hot, hot, hot. Did I mention a hot? Uh, (laughs) it sounds like the weather can get a little hot for racers at times is there any way to prepare for that or navigate it yeah so st george's climate is just a few degrees cooler than vegas so like if you look at vegas weather patterns we're usually about five degrees cooler which is hot (laughs) pretty much the whole year but especially in july and august so April and October are kind of our best seasons of the year, but we have been known to be at the in the low 80s at the finish line. So that can get hot just with mileage on your feet. It's also a very dry climate. So with when the sun is shining and there's no humidity here, it can feel like it can be 75 and feel 85. So just keep that in mind that you will be. But the interesting thing is that you start in a town of Central and we kind of have this microclimate when once you get about 10 miles outside of town, it's always 10 to 20 degrees cooler. So you can be starting in the 40s or the 50s and then run into the low 80s. So you just know like, and you're you're going downhill, the further down the hill you get, the warmer it's going to get. So for those people that say it's hot, I would say they're mostly the four hour plus runners that just start to get uncomfortable towards the finish line. So we do a lot. We really make sure we provide ice at all of our aid stations. And then we have some like great community groups that the marathon loves this about our community, but these weren't our ideas. Like we have one guy that lives downtown and for years he has just bought thousands of otter pops. 
and he just hands them out to runners. And I'll tell you, one year I needed an Otter Pop. And let me tell you, it was like the best like icy sugar snack you could ever have. We have another group that for years consistently does um, washcloths in ice bins. And then they'll just hand you like almost a frozen washcloth when you're running by. So don't miss those opportunities because those are kind of bonus outside of the aid station, fun things that when you get into town, people will do. But no, I would just say, you know, like a really good thing is if you're getting hot, just remember to cool your body from the top down. So pouring a cup of water over your head and putting it in your mouth, like is a good combination. You know, just trying to keep yourself hydrated and cool is important towards the end of the race. You'll be very comfortable the first half of the race. And then it just depends on the season and the time of year. We've actually had really the most mild June here that I can remember. We haven't been above 90 yet, but and usually like by June, we're in the hundreds. So you never know. You never know. <laughs> I'm going to be keeping an eye out for the Otter Pop Sky. That's childhood nostalgia right there. <laughs> yeah, so. that's a good secret too. Yeah, so make sure you try to find him <laughs> on the diagonal. That's where you usually see him. So the road called diagonal, and you'll come down the highway and kind of turn diagonally into town, and and that's where you'll find him if you're lucky. <laughs> I'm also kind of doubling down on the lady that, again, ran this entire marathon in a book suit. So that's even more difficult than the that's hot weather. I, mean. I, I don't know how she pulled it yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. Adding weight is not something you want to do. You can drop clothes all along the course. You can put them in your race bag at the start. You know, I'd say keep it light and simple. Yeah. But you guys, you're going to do amazing. It's going to be a great experience. I'm sure of it. <laughs> we'll definitely do our best. Turn us any last burning questions before we go into our last segment here? No, nothing for me. I think, I think you can uh, pull us right into it. That's right. So we always ask our guests, what's in your backpack? More of a symbolic way to say, what are the three things that you take up with you on your journey, or in this case, a run? That's a great question. So I always wear a watch. I'm just that kind of athlete. You know, some people just run by feel, but I kind of like to look at my historic stats and say, oh, I ran five miles more this week. You know, I'm building. I kind of like those measurables. So I, I like to look at that. I always try for a negative split. That means for listeners that might not know to run the second half faster than the first half which is very doable on the St. George Marathon, but also difficult because we are a downhill marathon. And so you kind of get that quad crushing feeling, but the second half is more downhill than the first half. And so it's possible. So I like to look at a watch and have statistics. I always carry um, some sort of goo or shot blocks or something on my run because that just really helps give me a boost. And I really recommend, I really recommend trying your nutrition, even on your shorter runs when you don't need it. Like I never feel like I need nutrition for less than a six mile run, but really play with it in your training because you need to know what your body tolerates. And that's, that's really key to successful marathon running. Kind of after you reach that half marathon, the body starts to break down. And so knowing what foods you can metabolize well are really key to finishing. So I always carry you or shot blocks and then great shoes. So 
A lot of runners sometimes will get injured if they try to do too, you know, if you're building your mileage and you try to do too many miles too soon. But the other thing that you really need to look at and be considerate of is a lot of times those first knee pains or ankle or shin splint pains can come from not having good running shoes. And so like I recommend, and I think it's pretty much industry standard, about 300 miles on a pair of shoes. So, you know, like people think, oh, it doesn't cost anything to run. Well, it kind of does. You know, you really want to run with good shoes and keep that bounce in the shoe to help prevent injury. So I would say those are the th- my th- three most important things for running that I don't leave home without. What shoes do you run in? Because I'm like a big Brooks fan. Yeah, I wore Brooks for years and I love them. As I get older, I (laughs) have really bad running feet. Um, I run in ultras now just because they have a large toe box and I have some foot problems. (laughs) But yeah, so I, I like kind of a I like kind of a low profile shoe, which is another reason to switch them out more often because I'm not well, you know, I'm not running like in a Hoka, a real high profile shoe that has a lot of cushion. So you got to kind of, again, it's just like nutrition. You have to kind of figure out what works for you. But a good running shoe will analyze your gait and your profile, the profile of your foot, whether you're, you know, you have a flat arch or a high arch, and they can really make good recommendations for you. So I recommend, you know, meeting with them or a podiatrist or something to just find the shoe that works best for you. And and I'm a creature of habit. I, then I stick with it because I'm, a, I'm afraid to jinx it, <laughs> get injured. So I usually stick with a brand that I like. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. Sorry, Trinus. Were you going to mention one more thing? No, I was going to say the same thing. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks again for choosing St. George Marathon. We're really going to look forward to seeing you guys. We want to follow up and do a little news story with you and highlight your journey. And we're excited to keep in touch. We're excited to hear how things go for both of you. Oh, I do have to chime in one last thing before we end. So my brother is currently hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, and he was assisted by Trail Angel that is actually also running the St. George Marathon. So we were wondering if it's possible at some point during the race at the end to do a shout out to see if we could connect with them. But you can let me know later. Um, We just thought that'd be a nice story. We'll bring a picture of him. That would be so fun. Let's definitely do that. Yeah, I'm sure there's a way we can accommodate that. That'd be fun. All right. That'd be great. And then shout out to all the runners that are joining the St. George Marathon. We wish you luck and we're excited to see everyone there. And also gambate to all our Japanese runners. So, <laughs> Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> Thanks, and, you guys. And thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was a fun episode to record. Claudia, what are your takeaways from talking to Michelle today? My takeaway is I really am going to stay motivated until I get to Diagonal Lane or Diagonal Road and meet the Otterpop man. And then that will be my success story because that will definitely keep me going. So hopefully I, hopefully I run into him. I'll be looking for him. <laughs> Please give me like a text or something when you find them. Honestly, that that's amazing. I, I think... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say to add on to that, I think it's interesting how these very small things can be so big when you're doing something challenging like that. So when people 
make that effort, it's just really touching. And it definitely shows you how this isn't just a solo sport. It is a community supporting each other. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of that. I completely agree. That was my takeaway as well, honestly. Based off of Michelle's descriptions, the community aspect and how excited they are not even to race, but to be a part of this is so huge. And that they're inviting us warmly into their home is honestly such a gift. So that's my kind of takeaway for this. That and as well, I would like to highlight the very special stories that we talked about today, making it very personal to yourself. As I mentioned in the first episode, I definitely want to have like some sort of Zimbabwean representation on me. It might be a little hot to carry, have a flag cape or something, but just kind of reaching into that personal aspect of the race is something I'd like to have before kicking it off in, in October. But yeah, those, those are some takeaways for what we have for you guys today. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening to In It for the Long Run. That's right. Hope to catch you on the next one.